and welcome to a soul-searching episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today we'll be reviewing part two of our Welcome to LA trilogy with 2011's Crazy Stupid Love. We'll jump into five-point inspection with LA Cool, Human Centipede, Lost Connections, Mature Rom-Com, and Pre-2. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Hey amigo, I'm about to, uh, to tear out the rest of the wood paneling in the lobby. Do you mind running down to Home Depot and grabbing a few cans of paint? I, I have the samples right here. Uh, indigo blue, electric lime, racing red. Why exactly are we making all these changes before the interior designer comes next week? Look, it's it's not just any interior designer, man. It's, it's Andrew Tupabone. Just just Google his name. You said his name's Andrew Tupabone? Uh... Well, hey, look, there's no disputing that. He, he does great work. But again, why don't we just leave it to the expert? Because we don't want to look like just a couple of rubes. You know, now, can you please just take the company card and get the paint? Well, here's the thing. I can't I can't really show my face in that Home Depot anymore. I uh, had a little incident last week. You're not banned from the Home Depot now, are you? I, I mean, not officially. Look, I, I was chatting up the cute girl that works in the lumber department. Uh, you know, the brunette, just just average small talk. And I ask her if she wants to get out of there. And she says, God, I wish I'm not off until eight. Go on. I mean, that's pretty much it. I I kill some time till eight o'clock and, and I wait out by her car and she comes out and sees me and then it just freaks out. Like she like she didn't just say three hours earlier that she wanted to get out of there. I mean, did you ever consider that she was simply saying she wanted to leave work, not to go out on a date with you? Because she hates work at Home Depot, and, and maybe she's just ready for the, the debate day to be done? Oh, shit. You know, now that you say it that way, it does make a lot of sense. I told you, you gotta stop with this pickup artist routine. It, it, it's gonna get you in trouble, man. Yeah. Well, can, can we just skip the paint, and uh, maybe we can discuss Crazy Stupid Love. A married couple falls victim to complacency and implodes when the wife reveals she's had an affair and wants a divorce. Caught completely off guard, the husband spirals out until an unlikely playboy helps him shed his cringe and regain his mojo. As everyone attempts to move forward, they can't help but begin to question their own motives and must now grapple with the idea of soulmates and predestined love. Alright Travis, before we jump into 5 points back, I would love to know your quick diagnostic of 2011's Crazy Stupid love well before i even give any of my opinion on it, it i realized that i kind of neglected to ask in the run-up to us watching this and, and reviewing it tonight had you seen this before i had not i was actually okay. when you put this in the running i was excited because i i had wanted to see this movie for a while and had not well i'm very excited to see what you think about it because this I didn't want to put too much pressure on it, but this was one of those movies that I I was excited for you to watch. Um, and honestly, it had been a little bit of time since I'd seen it. This feels like a movie that is so accessible for anyone. You know, I feel like if you're a, you know, a teenager or even younger than a teenager, there's there's plot elements in this movie for you. If you're in a long term committed relationship, marriage, I think there's something in it for you. 
I think if you're somebody who is single and is still looking for your soulmate, there's something for you. I feel like this is one of the best rom-coms of recent memory. And I, not to be cliche, I just, I don't feel like they make them like this too much anymore. Uh, I thought this was more uh, recent than it was. This is 2011. I couldn't get over the fact this is over a decade old, but uh, I liked it and I'll get into some specifics as to why, but I'm curious to hear what you think seeing it for the first time. So it's funny you say they don't make them like this anymore. I would argue they never made them like this and haven't really made them since then. I put this up there with the breakup and it's that weird category of it's not that traditional rom-com. It's actually very mature for a rom-com. I think this one definitely, we, we reviewed the break. I think that was one of our first trilogies we ever, it might've, I think it's been the first trilogy we ever did. We did the breakup. Um, and we talked about how that movie was mismarketed as a comedy. Um, it's a dark comedy and there's definitely places to laugh. But if you're going into that movie thinking you're going to laugh a lot, there's you're not going to leave the theater satisfied. I think this one does a better job of towing the line of a comedy. But I still think it has a lot of mature elements where it's not just a matter of, you know, guy finds girl, guy loses girl, guy has to get girl back situation. And there's a lot more intertwined throughout it. I think, funny enough, I it one of my few gripes about this movie, so hopefully that doesn't play my hand too much, one of my few gripes about this movie I think is a, is a gripe we also had about the breakup where there's definitely a certain character or in character's arc that I think gets sacrificed for the for the protagonist, for Cal, in order for him to, to kind of shine that I would have loved to have seen a little more attention put towards. But uh, I think we'll get into that with some of the five points. But, you know, uh, high level, uh, I did enjoy this movie. I definitely thought it was going to be just a very cliche movie. I think pretty much through the first act, I was like, okay, this is just feels very run of the mill. And then it kind of gets its legs. I think once, once Jacob and Cal actually start to do the whole, you know, Mr. Miyagi montage thing. And he's teaching Cal to, to how to pick up chicks. I think the movie at that point starts to come into its own. And that's when I actually started to really, really enjoy the movie. Great. The, the movie starts out almost like the, again, the breakup. Not the, I think there's going to be a lot of comparisons to those two throughout this review. But the movie starts at a very quick pace. Like it immediately throws you into, hey, they want a divorce in the first five minutes of the movie. And you're like, oh, shit. OK, we're doing this. Like this is the movie is starting off with us getting ready to watch them either split or try and get back together. So which I appreciate, you know, it, it means you don't have. It was very well done, but there's not a whole lot of dilly-dally getting us to that point. I, I thought the, the beginning of the movie was beautifully shot with all of the couples playing footsie, and it's a romantic dinner, and you can see people are wearing nice clothes and shoes and the heels and the, you know, the, uh, what is it, the, the pantyhose and all that. And like, oh, this is supposed to be a romantic setting. And then we hit our our married couple, and you've got Cal in the oversized suit with the, the dad, New Balance shoes, and it's just, you know... Both feet firmly planted are both uh, couples. Their their feet are firmly planted on the ground. You you just very much realize they are not in the same position as everybody else in this very. It's supposed to be date night romantic situation. So I think they do a very good job of setting up where these two characters are in their life to where we can use that as a jumping off point, and we're not spending a lot of time wasting on what happened. Yeah, which I you know to talk about the breakup. I, if you recall, the breakup kind of jumps immediately into, hey, Vince Vaughn has has wooed Jennifer Aniston and we're off to the races in the relationship. Uh, so you kind of start that movie at the beginning of relationship. You begin this one at it 
maybe it's the end, maybe it's not, but it's it's certainly the beginning of the end in terms of the narrative of this movie. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? I, I might even give the nod to this over the breakup because the breakup felt... There were many moments in the breakup where I laughed or I enjoyed it, but it didn't feel like reality. It didn't, it felt like this was very much done for a script for a movie. This movie for the most part, while being funny, feels very realistic in every element. Uh, go back to the cliche, take a drink. If you're playing the drinking game, it feels like a, a lived in world because there are enough characters that are fleshed out. I'm, I'm curious, and maybe this will start one of your five points. Who did you think got the short end of the stick? I'm assuming you're talking about Julianne Moore, the wife, uh, Hannah, Hannah's storyline, I thought. Okay. Hannah's, and not necessarily short into the stick and the idea that, like, she, you know, I don't want to think that the character got screwed at the end of the movie. I just felt, I kind of figured out what they were trying to do with her pretty early on with it because she felt shoehorned in. I'm like, what is, how is this movie, how is this story going to get intertwined? What's going on here? I didn't realize that she was going to be Nana. I didn't pick that up until they did that later, but I was like, okay, she's going to wind up being, I was like, they've established that Cal in i forget the wife's name uh, again her story probably got short short uh, uh sideline too but I, I thought hannah's story was more interesting um but they establish how early they got together i'm like okay it's gonna want hannah's gonna wind up being their oldest daughter that we haven't seen before they in and, and that winds up being what happens but one of my favorite scenes in the whole damn movie is Hannah and Jacob at Jacob's place when she's like, I, I know the PG-13, this is going to end with me passing out. And like, it winds up the role reversal. He winds up passing out. But the two of them watching like Jacob starting to realize what he's missing in life and Hannah is getting the excitement that she wasn't getting from Josh um, Groban's character. I, that was, there was two scenes that I absolutely loved in this movie. Funny enough, neither of them were comedy scenes, but that was one of them. That I absolutely loved that scene of the of the two of them making that connection. And despite the fact that they keep referencing that they're going to sleep with one another, it doesn't actually wind up happening because they wind up making a connection beyond that. Just that you know the the physical connection. So, and I thought it was a great way of setting up Jacob. It didn't feel like such a hard twist for him to be like, oh, all of a sudden he's in love. Like. There was just, it wound up a very strange situation. Someone came back to him. He was actually the one who was pursued instead of him being pursued at the bar because she shows up from the rain and she grabs him and just basically kind of swoops him off his feet as opposed to what he typically does. And I, like I said, I just really appreciated what they did with that. I just thought Hannah's story was so much more interesting, not more interesting than the rest of what was going on, but it was very interesting. I would have loved to have known more about her family dynamic and stuff like that and and more about her and jacob and it winds up being she's essentially just i feel like a plot device so that we can have the you know the big family scuffle at with the mini golf course uh, so but again then at the day i appreciate it i just felt like she she was just a plot device as opposed to actually being a character and I, the problem is i really cared about that character and i wanted to find out more about them yeah, and while we're on the topic of Jacob, I, I guess I can go ahead and get L.A. Cool out of the way because, number one, I mean, they say they don't make movie stars anymore. To me, Ryan Gosling is very much a movie star. We've reviewed mm -hmm. him in something like Drive where he says probably 25 lines the whole entire movie. And then you contrast that with this movie <laughs> where he is just charming and charismatic. You mentioned the New Balances, Brett. Are you... Uh, I'm a, are you Steve Jobs? <laughs> are, you, are, you the, are you the billionaire owner of Apple computers? 
<laughs> I, he's so charming in this movie. And yet the scene you're describing where they do the role reversal and he passes out before he passes out, you get. Usually I don't like when characters tell and it's it's not showing, it's just telling. But his brief description of his relationship with his mother and father, it sounded like his father was very much a Steve Carell type and mm -hmm. got taken advantage of by a, a woman. And that has shaped him in such a manner that he is the kind of the womanizing character that we meet in this movie in, until Hannah kind of uh, completely changes up his, his feelings and he kind of realizes that he, he's been making a mistake from living that way. I did not expect that kind of cool character to even, I know it's an easy scene to throw in, but so many movies wouldn't throw that in. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciated that little extra bit of development on his character because it, the rest of the movie, he is very much comic relief with the dirty dancing stuff. He's just a cool character in and out. So it was nice to see him vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And they do a good way of setting that up too because you said like they could have just shoehorned that scene in, but he makes the comment earlier in the movie when... Cal asks Steve Carell's character, like, why are you wanting to help me? And he's like, you just, you remind me of somebody. And I thought it was going to be one of those, like, you remind me before I became Mr. Cool. And instead it was, you reminded me of my father and you get that reveal later. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Cause I feel like most of the time in these stories, it would have been, you remind me before I, you know, I, I got my mojo before I got my swing of things. And it was again, kind of touching. And then it goes back to, I think, Jacob appreciating Cal and the relationship he has with Hannah more, which makes it make a lot more sense why he actually cares about, hey, like, you're a good dad. Like, I, I want to do this right. I don't want to try and force this or anything like that. But at the same time, like, I have feelings for it. And I'm not going to abandon that. Yeah, and I don't know if this was the other scene you were talking about, but the scene at the end where he's talking to Cal, and again, with the good movies, we tend to bounce around. But uh, when when Cal's like, you know what? I've seen too much. I see how you've treated other women. I, you're never going to have my blessing. And that's when Jacob responds like, you're you're a good dad, Cal. Like that mm -hmm. was that was a phenomenal scene. And I even loved the way Jacob described it. You know, like before your daughter, I, I frankly, people in love and the way they acted, he found it pathetic. I was like, that's such a, you can get so much from that character based upon how he viewed his dad and his mom's relationship and then how he later views people being in love. Uh, I just, I just love that scene. And like you said, it's, it's not comedic in the slightest. I think they ended on the comedic note where it's like, all oh, the waitress definitely spit in my drink, but mm -hmm. it's a great dramatic scene. Which if I'm honest, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a Steve Carell, Steve Carell, Carell, why am I? I'm saying Carell. it wrong, right? Steve Carell. Yeah. Sarah uh, O'Connor. Sarah O'Connor. Yeah. Steve Carell. Yeah. Um, ad lib. I could see him just, he just did that. Also, Steve Carell is the king of cringe. Like, it is, <laughs> there are times in this movie where it's just like, it is honestly uncomfortable watching him. Like, I don't understand how he does it. Like, he is the absolute king of cringe. And he's just, he's a master. This was, the, I feel like this is around the time where he was trying to shed that. Like, he still had that cringe, but like, forgetting, or was no, uh, Little Miss Sunshine, he was doing those movies like he was trying to get a lot more into a lot more serious roles. I think trying to basically break the Michael Scott perception that he had. But uh, I, I mean, I, I very much enjoyed him. I thought it was going to be one of those things where we just got a Michael Scott kind of cringe character. But there was a lot more heart to it. Like he felt like just kind of an, an awkward middle aged, you know, dad situation. So I again, you talk about being able to relate. I, I won't say that I'm necessarily middle-aged, but I definitely have, I think, the father cringe going for me. So there's definitely moments where I, he was, the jokes that were made that, like, I I appreciated from that perspective. Um, 
so with that we'll kind of go into a mature rom-com i already kind of talked about it in my my quick synopsis or not synopsis but um quick take at the beginning but the other scene i'll talk about why i think this is is a much more mature rom-com is the other scene that i really loved in this movie was when he it's the second time he's gone to take care of the lawn for his at this time i guess you would say ex-wife and he's out there and she steps away from the dinner table to call him and he's out in in the yard talking to her about fixing the pilot light when he knows in reality she's not like she just wants to hear his voice i I thought that was an absolutely beautiful scene. I loved every minute of that. I loved how the two characters interacted without them being in the same place. Just the way, you know, essentially they were doing, they were doing dialogue monologue type thing where they were having a dialogue, but they were having to carry each part of their scene solo by themselves. And I thought both of them did an absolutely phenomenal job with that. I, it, I mean, definitely tugged on the heartstrings a little bit watching that scene and just, it's an interesting scene to have. You're like, you, it's a feel good moment, even though you realize at this moment, they're still split up. Like they're still divorced, but there's still a connection there. And this whole movie does a whole lot about that. Like, can you fight the, that primal? Like if your soulmates, despite whatever has happened, like, are you always going to kind of come back to one another? And I think that's, it was such a great scene to illustrate that because despite the fact that they're both doing their own thing, there's, there's still that connection between them. Yeah, and I can't remember where that falls in the order of scenes because, number one, yeah, when I remember watching the movie the first time through and that scene happened and I kind of was like, wow, this is this is not just your standard rom-com. Like, this is an effective drama when it wants to be. Um, but I also like that Cal, he's not, like, to your point, he's not Michael Scott. He's not the bumbling idiot. Like, once he gets the tutelage of Jacob, like, He's pretty successful with women. And you know what? He's kind of a piece of shit. Like the whole Marissa Tomei thing. Marissa Tomei, yeah, she's played to be a little bit crazy. But Cal's kind of the asshole in that situation. And the, the parent-teacher conference, God, I love that scene when she just writes asshole up on the board. <laughs> and you're talking about I, King of Cringe. Even just the story about her going down on him for 45 minutes, <laughs> just the description of that is so cringe. And you absolutely believe it based upon the character of cal and i Uh love that he again he's not a knight in shining armor at all times because he's trying to cover his ass by the end he's like ah she's a drunk that was the that was the only time in the entire movie where i felt like this is out of place for this character like i don't understand why like they've already established his wife slept with someone else and cheated on him there's no reason for him like i appreciated that at first he wanted to be able to rub her face like jacob's you know, whole thing was to be able to rub her face and he's going to teach Cal that to make her jealous, they rub her face that she should have never left him. He takes not, I won't even say the high road. It's just a matter of like, that's not what his intent is that he feels that this is his soulmate. He doesn't want to make her uncomfortable despite the fact that he's feeling pain. That's not what he wants to. I just, I felt like when we talk about mature, that was the one time I'm like, I just feel like he could have easily been like, yes, I, I have, been around but at the same time it just it doesn't feel right or something like that as opposed to trying to dodge it and then lie about it when it's like oh shit i am now confronted by the teacher like this is not gonna go well for me but i'm gonna try and continue lying my way out of it it's one of those where i'm like this was where they had to write they had a funny scene for the script so that they they, they kept it in there but that was the only time i felt things were out of character for for 
for anything in the movie, I was like, this just doesn't feel like how this would go down based off how we've watched the characters grow to this point in the movie. Yeah, the only reason I'll push back a little bit is because, you know, Cal, I'm not sure how old he's supposed to be in this movie. I would assume like late 30s, early 40s. But this is the first time in his life where he has ever had to. I mean, literally, he's when the movie starts, he's only been with one woman and that's his wife. So I think he's trying to hold on to that. I won't say moral high ground, but almost that that purity and naivete and. He kind of th- tries to throw Marissa Tomei under the bus. But uh, to your point, when he lets it slip that he's been with nine women, Julianne Moore's response where she's just like, wow, you know, you showed me that you could tell with Cal like broke his heart. That That's mm-hmm. not what he intended to do. But now he's realized like, yeah, I I should have done that. I still love my wife. Again, such a, a powerful moment in the middle of what a lot of people would view as a standard rom-com from the outside. Yeah, like I said, it just it goes to show just I think how you said at the beginning this this is a rom com that's approachable for a lot of people. I think for people who don't like rom coms, this movie is very approachable for as a rom com. I I think it was it's just very well done. And watching it, you actually care for the characters. At one point in my notes, I think it was later in the towards the movie, I'm like, there's no one I'm rooting against in this movie. Like, at a certain point, usually in a rom-com, there's, like, the new boyfriend or even uh, Kevin Bacon's character. Like, I felt bad for that. Like, yeah, he was a little bit of a homewrecker, but, I mean, the wife slept with him. Honestly, if you want to talk about a character who actually got the short end of the stick, he's the one who gets screwed out of the entire movie because he legitimately likes Julianne, or, yeah, uh, her her character. I, I gotta look it up, so I can't, I stop calling her the wife. <laughs> I just I feel bad that everybody else I remember the name and I just I keep referring to her as the wife. Um but he winds up he legitimately wants to have a relationship with her. It wasn't a matter of a one night stand for him and he he winds up not only does he not get the girl at the end, he also gets punched and it's like he's the only one at the end of the movie that doesn't really get any any resolution. David uh Linden Linden Hogg Lyndon Hagen? Lyndon Hagen. Emily. Emily is the mother. Um, but yeah, Emily, like, it's just one of those things. He's the one who gets, you know, screwed at the end of the at the movie. Uh, but yeah, I think in most of these kind of movies, he would be, quote unquote, the bad guy. Yeah. Like, he would be very hateable. But like, he, he legitimately tries to connect with Robbie. And like, Robbie comes off as a complete fucking psychopath. Like, if I'm David Lindhagen and the kids act in that way, I'm like, yeah, this is not worth the trouble, Emily. I, I'm sorry. Uh, your kid seems like a future serial killer. <laughs> I mean, Robbie fucking when uh, with the, God. Now, instead of the wife, I'm going to call her the babysitter. What was her name? Jessica. Julie. Yeah. Julia. Jessica. 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 Yeah. Okay. When Jessica <laughs> walks in on him masturbating and he's just like, no, it's OK. I was. I was thinking about you when I did it. <laughs> Robbie's a creepy son of a bitch. So we're getting into pre two. If we want to talk about pre two, okay? So this movie, 2011. This was before the Me Too movement, right? And there's a few scenes in this movie that I think would have to be tweaked or changed for today's climate. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or like, oh, you know, trying to say anything woke, woke, you know, like some derogatory term. It's just. There's I mean, things we got like, young Louis C.K. here. Yeah, we're watching the movie. I'm like, I think they would have to change this. Like, this would not be acceptable. Um, 
there's there's definitely the one um I'll start with the most innocent one, I guess, is there the shot of Jacob making the drinks when Jacob and Hannah are at his place. I started thought started feeling a little date rapey. I'm like, at what point do we see him put the like I was just waiting for the powder to go in the drink. Like I was waiting for this is the point this is the point where we make Jacob the bad guy. Like there's just so much care and weird like like uh attention brought to him making the drinks. I'm like and after all the other things that happen in the movie, I'm like, this is the part where we make Jacob the bad guy. But they did. I'm glad they didn't. But that's where I wow. thought. Like, I thought they were going to make Jacob the bad guy. I mean, I think they showed the detail on the drinks to just hammer home how, again, L.A. cool he is. Like, he's. I get he's that the now. Sugar cube in there. Yeah. But I'm just saying at the moment, I'm like, because, again, I, we just talked about there's no real bad guy in this movie. That's where I was like, OK, this is where Jacob takes the real heel turn. And he winds up like he's going to be the bad guy in this movie. I'm very glad that's not the direction they took with this. But there was definitely a part of me that was like, I'm a little concerned with how much attention they're putting on the drinks right now. So you thought for a second that Steve Carell was under the tutelage of a of Bill Cosby? There was a chance. There was that was going to be the wow. twist. There was a that wow. was going to be the twist. Um, I'm kind of worried about your sci-fi chop shop now. <laughs> um, I thought Robbie. Well, a lot of what Robbie does in the movie, I do not think would hold up. Uh, the there's a, an exact line from where he says, "I'm going to keep sending her messages, even though I make I know it makes her uncomfortable." I'm like, that's not cool. Like, there's a certain point where no means no, even if you think it's your soulmate. Like, you gotta. And I realize he's supposed to be 16 or 15 or whatever his age is, but like, there's definitely the point where Cal has to be like, "Yo, dog, like you gotta like you gotta let up. Like, if she's not interested, she's not interested." <laughs> Yeah, I thought that's the only part of this movie that I I did not like in terms of the messaging is because one thing in society we have got to stop doing is the whole like, if they don't like you at first, keep working at it. That mentality has got to go away. And even by the end of the movie, I thought like if you're Jessica, the kids like, quote unquote, giving up, Robbie's giving up and then she kind of gives him the nude picture. And I'm like, ah. I don't know, Jessica, I don't know if that's a great idea. If you end up liking him in three years, that's fine. I wouldn't give him any more stalker bait, though. So, Jessica, I for the entire movie, I went back and forth, and I was like, why is she 17? Why didn't they make her 18? Like, this feels like this is going to go down a really weird path for Cal, because she's, she's not 18, and she's going to pursue him. Like, this is going to get weird between her and Cal, and then at the end of the movie, when she gives the nudes to Robbie, I'm like, oh, that's why she had to be 17. Because if she was 18 and gave nudes to oh, Robbie, that would have been yeah, an issue. So yeah. I was like, at the very end, I'm like, okay, that I I guarantee you there was a lot of discussion about is she 17 or 18? Is she 17 or 18? Is she 17 or 18? I'm like, okay, I now understand why they had they made sure to establish that she was 17 years old. Because when she gives the nudes. To Robbie, I'm like, it, like I th if I'm not mistaken from the trivia, I was already an issue that they did that in the movie. I'm like, it would have been an even bigger issue if she had been 18. Yeah, that's why I don't I don't know why they they went for that. That seemed like a weird closing point on the Jessica Robbie dynamic. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That just felt bizarre to me. I, I I totally agree. I thought Jessica, her story, I thought was was one of the strangest and even when we get to chop shop that was one of the i couldn't quite figure 
her story makes sense, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, because it's almost like this is the the love story, like a crash love story where like you have a bunch of or Magnolia have a bunch of these love stories going on and they're going to intertwine with one another. But at the same time, because of the ages of all these people, Jessica winds up being this at times almost uncomfortable with whatever's happening with her, whether it's Robbie pursuing her, it's uncomfortable because he's too young and shouldn't be doing that to her or her wanting to pursue Cal feels uncomfortable because it's like, she's so young. She shouldn't be trying to do that. So like no matter Jessica is a forbidden love, regardless of which direction you decide to take her story. In, and it just, it winds up being very strange and awkward to me. And that's the only part where I definitely think they would have to, to retool her character. If you were going to remake this movie in 2022, which like you said, it's only but 11, 12 years old, but that's the only one where it's like, Ooh, it, it, it's there. There's, pieces of that that's a little problematic that i think you would have to to refine a little bit more to to make this a solid script in today today times well this gets into my human centipede because you mentioned it like you brought up like magnolia these crash like these sprawling stories where you have all these little story pods that ultimately come together to complete a puzzle does it work for you? We've already mentioned that the whole Hannah is actually Nana. That's all just sleight of hand stuff. And then the Jessica stuff, it feels to me, tell me if what you think about this theory. It feels like from a screenwriting perspective, they kind of started at that backyard confrontation and wrote like, how could we have this funny scene where all these worlds are colliding at once and then wrote out from there? Because I always, I've seen this movie, I think three times now, this is the third time. I always think right in that backyard fight that it's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the movie's got about another 20 minutes to go, but it feels like that was the epicenter of everything they started from. Well, it's definitely the end of the second act, you know, where basically the hero loses again and then has to figure out, you know, it's the ultimate... Uh, conflict but i i agree it felt like that's where this movie started and then they basically wrote out in both directions from that moment because even establishing bernie like making bernie cal's friend he shows up at the bar to give him the cologne it it's weird that's the only interaction we have with those two people and i feel like it's only so that it makes more sense when cal is trying to talk bernie down why it would make sense where bernie isn't just immediately just pounding the absolute hell out of cal is because there's oh there's a friendship there they you know that's how that's why jessica's the babysitters because you know bernie and cal are those two families were you know lifelong friends or something like that so you have that where you had to kind of plant a little scene and then to your, you know i think we both mentioned it, the hannah thing like oh we're we're not gonna establish who hannah is until whoa at the very end now we know who hannah is i'm like the reveals I already felt some of that was going on and they were leading up to that. And then even that doesn't, it doesn't feel as, as genuine because you're getting all of the reveals at once. You know, Cal gets, Cal is finding out that Jessica loves him. Robbie is finding out that Jessica loves Cal. For whatever reason, uh, Lyndon Hagen shows up. I don't even remember why David was showing up. Did they even establish why he, she left her sweater in his car. Oh, so again, <laughs> again, we're just talking gonna... about just just a reason he needs to be there. So he has that there. Like there is there really is no reason for all of those characters to who have just so happened to have been there at the exact same time, other than the fact that that's what they needed to happen for the movie. 
I enjoyed the scene. I'm I was not going to say, say that I didn't being like said, it. I, it, you had to nail that scene because if you're going to sacrifice a lot of Hannah's development because she has to be this gimmick, you have to make sure that payoff scene is hilarious. And I think it is even afterwards mm-hmm. when uh, they're all sitting on the curb being talked to by the police mm-hmm. and they mispr- mispronounced David Lindhagen's name and they're like Lindhagen and they, they point to him and even I don't know if you remember the scene where Gosling starts laughing when the cops like gotta keep, keep it, it in the, the family, family. <laughs> that he was not supposed that was a legit he couldn't contain his laughter <laughs> and it showed so you have to nail that scene otherwise it's I would take several letter grades off of this movie but since they nail it the convoluted setup is worth it to me. Mm-hmm. I I 100% agree. Uh, when Gosling takes his ring, he's like, you're David Lindhagen? <laughs> and then takes his ring off. I'm like... <laughs> you, you've hurt my friend a lot. <laughs> yeah. I love, that's such a good just display of friendship right there. Well, and that's the, the thing that I love is... It's sad because, you know, Cal, he finally reaches out to Cal. He's like, I know I've been off the grid for a little bit, but, like, you know, I've got something to tell you. Like, I, you, know, you won't believe what happened. And then they wind up showing up there. But, like, Jacob and Cal actually do become friends in this movie, which is another one where it feels painful to watch Cal and Jacob basically kind of split up, too. Like, at a certain point, Cal loses everything. Despite everything he's done to try, he's lost his best friend because he's angry at Jacob. He's essentially, we'll get back to Robbie again because it's, I think Robbie's reaction to Jessica loving his dad, I don't think... I understand Robbie being upset, but the fact that he won't talk to his dad because he feels that his dad is somehow trying to steal Jessica away, I think is a little... I don't know, I guess Robbie is supposed to be, what, like 15 or something like that, but it just doesn't... It does. It also feels like one of those, they needed that to happen so that they could have the touchy-feely moment at the podium, at the, the, the graduation. Um, I will say I did love when they graduate. This is another thing I think they did really well in this movie is... The influence of all of the characters doesn't wear off immediately. Like, when when Cal goes to the graduation, he's still wearing an appropriately fitted suit. It's not like he's angry at Jacob, and suddenly he sheds all of Jacob off of him, and he's back in those frumpy suits and his white shoes. Like, he's still learned from Jacob, and he's taken that, and the character, you visually see the character has grown, and he's he's got his confidence back. I, and I really appreciate that they didn't, because that's another one of those things I think it would have been really easy, like, oh, let's just put him back in his old suit because he hates Jacob. So I'm like, that's not that's not what Cal would have done. And then, you know, Jacob, when you go over and you see him talking to Hannah and the little sister, and, like, I think they're doing, like, fake waters being squirted on Jacob, and you're seeing Jacob interact with yeah. the kids. You're like, oh, you're seeing Cal being a good dad has, like, kind of, like, worn off in, like, that cringy, like, goofy co- dad comedy has worn off on Jacob. And I just, I really appreciate the fact that they didn't, basically, like, that those weren't facades that they put on the character just for the sake of a scene, and then it winds up getting worn off. Like, you see the character, like, all of the characters developed, grew, and held on to their new positive traits throughout the movie. Yeah, and I I love the way that this movie ends, too, where you couldn't say with 100% certainty that um, Cal and, oh, God. Emily. Emily. You can't say with 100% certainty that Cal and Emily are going to get back together. Like, they certainly seem like they're back on the road to it. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, at the very least, they have a new respect and understanding of each other. I love, I, like I said, it's a little bit weird that Jessica gives Robbie the photo. But other than that, I like how Robbie's like, you know what? You like my dad so much. Let me basically hit puberty and, and maybe I'll have another shot. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
the healthy approach is the way this ends. And as much as Jacob, you know, loves Cal and, and they have, you know, they're BFFs now, he's like, I'm still going to be with your daughter. You, you can have all the problems in the world with it. I don't even quite understand what's happening to me, but you're, you're not going to prevent me from loving your daughter. Just everything feels very realistic where we leave this movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. With the exception of the nude photos, I hate <laughs> Yeah, and to, to like, I even like, love Marissa Tomei at the graduation. Like she's got yeah. kind things to say about Robbie, mm-hmm. but she still gives Steve Carell the finger. It's still like you're a piece of shit. I'll never yeah. like you. <laughs> I yeah, uh, but to your point, like the scene is so good with Robbie. Like, hey, if you had a thing for my dad, like I'll hit puberty in a couple of years, and then you know maybe I'll have a shot. They could have easily left it at that, and it would have been fine. Like, okay, that's a positive spin to this whole thing. Robbie still has hope. Jessica doesn't have to be completely weirded out and can kind of smirk and be like, yeah, you might be right about that. Also, would that not be the most awkward fucking thing in the entire world? If, you know, they are soulmates. If there's a crazy stupid love too and it's set 10 years in the future and Robbie and Jessica are like getting married, how fucking awkward is that? All right. <laughs> like she, she had a hots for your dad and now you're marrying her. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying crazy stupid love too is going to be weird. But, um, uh, yeah, I just think they could have ended it there. And I think somebody thought they were being cheeky or funny by having her give the nude photos. But it's like, I don't think that that was necessary. And I think it actually, it kind of takes away from that scene. Because then the first thing you're thinking about, like, that's fucking weird. Like, you, like that's, re- I feel like even in 2011, I'd be like, that's weird. Like, sure, yes, if I was the 13-year-old kid who went to go see this with my family, I'd be like, yeah, I wish that would happen to me. But, like, <laughs> as the average moviegoer, I'm like, that's weird. That shouldn't have happened. <laughs> You know? Yeah, basically, like, hey, you can you can jerk off to this for the next three years and then and then take your shot again. So, yeah, that's the only real misstep. It feels like that belongs in a raunchier R-rated version of this movie that otherwise didn't exist. It feels like it belongs in super bad. Is worth yes, <laughs> it's yes. super bad. And then at that point, wouldn't have been out of place. It still wouldn't have been appropriate, but it wouldn't have been out of place there. I wouldn't have been talking about it, I think, as much. If it had been in a movie like that. Yes, 100%. So, uh, that about, I think, wraps it up for me in terms of five-point inspection. Uh, did you have anything that, that you wanted to, to dip into there before we, we jump into some of our other segments? Uh, one, one last quick note that I, I forgot to mention about Emily. I like, to the way that Emily... David Lenhagen was not like the perfect one to come in and break up the marriage. Like there's the line I, I jotted it down when she's Emily's talking to the couch. She's like, you know, when I told you I had to work late, I really went to go see the new Twilight movie by myself and it was so <laughs> bad. Why did I do that? Even that line, while funny, also kind of showed like, yeah, instead of coming home to her marriage, she preferred to go see a dramatic representation of love on screen because she was bored with her marriage. So just a little thing like that, just kind of showing that Lindhagen was kind of the result, not the mm-hmm. the root cause, you know. Well, and it goes back to me saying there was no real villain. There's nobody I hated or was rooting against in this movie. They do a good job of not making Emily the villain where she cheated on her husband. She asks for the divorce, splits up the the family. But at no point am I like, Emily's a fucking bitch. I fucking hate Emily. Like, Cal, why would you go back? They're like, I guess that's what they kind of use Jessica for. Like, oh, you'd be crazy. And the, you get to kind of be the audience. Like, oh, Cal's such a super guy. How could you? Why would you 
to do that to him, Emily. But at no point did I I feel that way towards Emily. It's just you know, in a moment of weakness, that's what she wound up doing. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I I think it's it's impressive that the movie was able to to make it to where she was not just an easy person to hate or a villain. Yeah, 100%. So I just wanted to touch on that little detail because, again, it, it makes this world and these characters feel completely three-dimensional. All righty. So with that said, you ready to do some Blue Book? Let's do some Blue Book. All righty. So, Travis, the sticker price of this here movie was an estimated $50 million. All right. And $2,011. What do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? I'll say sixty-three million. Eighty-four million. Ooh, okay. I will say in the notes. Apparently, Steve Carell hated the title of this movie because he felt that you'd never see a bunch of college bros or anything like that go and ask for you know three tickets to Crazy Stupid Love. He thought that the it should have been titled like The Wingman or something more generic like that. Like as boring as it is, it would have felt more appropriate and that the the name of the movie actually kind of deter might have deterred some audiences because you're not going to get a lot of, you know, that male demographic that are going to go and see Crazy Stupid Love together, which I don't disagree with from a marketing standpoint. I Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but the title to me fits the movie as presented mm -hmm. very well. Cause it's very, like you said, it's very much like a crash or a Magnolia with a love being the subject matter where, you know, 10 or 15 people are concerned. Yep. All right. So what do you think the movie brought in worldwide? I'm just going to be hopeful and say that it broke a hundred million for a worldwide gross. I'll say 118 is what I'm hoping for. 145 million. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so this pretty, one was I I do believe success. yeah, it was a it was a success. So, which is good. The movie deserved it. So. All righty. You ready for some tag and title? Absolutely. All right. So this one's going to be interesting. I'm going to go ahead and predict that you you will beat me this week. I don't think I will. I don't think I will. Okay. All right. All right. I, but with that said, I, I don't think I will, and I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you four taglines. So, Travis, this week I'm going to give you one tagline, an official tagline for this movie. I'm going to give you two taglines for movies I found adjacent, and one tagline is going to be created by yours truly. What I need you to do is tell me which one of these four taglines is an official tagline for 2011's Crazy Stupid Love. Are you ready? I am ready. Caught in a merry marital mix-up. This is crazy. Let yourself go this August in Soul Survival. I uh, I jotted him down. Uh, now you know what. Uh, if I if, uh, uh, if it changes anything, since so you jotted him down, Soul is spelled S O U L. Soul Survival. Which is exactly I figured it was. Caught the caught in a merry. What was it? Caught in a merry marital. What? Caught in a merry marital mix-up. I have to assume that this is a Christmas movie. 
I'm gonna say that's Nicolas Cage's The Family Man. Okay. Um, let yourself go this August. I'm gonna say that's an official tagline because you threw in the month that it was released. I'm gonna say this is crazy. You made that up, Soul Survivor. What that leaves me, what, with an adjacent title or you made two of them up? Two, there's two adjacent titles. I'm gonna say Soul Survivor is an adjacent title, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah, no, I, I think you really stumped me this week. I did, I fucked you hard. I fucked you hard. <laughs> uh, Caught in a Merry Marital Mix-Up is not a Christmas movie, but it is an old-timey movie. It's from 1961's The Parent Trap. Ah, uh, see, it's a, it's a group of kids trying to get their parents back together. All right, so there's my adjacent connection there. Let I'm yourself, disgusted. Let yourself go this August, 2010's Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, <laughs> just because... Soul Survival. Because you Soul Survival is what I created. And this movie had three official taglines. They were, this is crazy, this is stupid, this is, stupid. This is love. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you know what? Much like Robbie, you were really thinking about me when you were putting together this list, weren't you? You, you knew it. So, I'm sorry to say, Travis, you failed miserably this week. Damn. Damn, it's been a while since I face-planted that hard. Yeah. So, uh, you're Robbie telling Jessica that you're masturbate to her right now. So we'll, we'll see uh, next week if you, if you can get the nudes from her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's 17. I don't want them. I don't want them. <laughs> good man. Good man. That was a good, <laughs> you that stuck the test. landing. You stuck the, you might've been, you stuck the landing. <laughs> Somebody just knocked at my door. What? <laughs> All righty, sir. Do you have a time capsule for us this week? I, I kind of have one, but you already mentioned the actor's name, so this might not be as much of a reveal. Uh, Josh Groban did not realize, number one, he was an actor. I looked him up. He's got a, a few acting credits. This was his first, I believe. This was his. Do you know, though, Brett, Ooh. what special connection Josh Groban has to, to you and, and myself? Well, I mean, the was it movie tunes? Movie tunes. <laughs> Yes. I was like, why do I know? I only know Josh Groban in the entire world because of movie tunes. I pulled up his music. I was trying to figure out which of his songs mm -hmm. was on movie tunes, but he just makes the most generic sounding songs. You know, My Confession, Broken Vow, You Raise Me Up, Never Let Go. So I have no idea, but one, I'm going to assume off the 2003 album Closer, Josh Groban had a movie tune. Uh, Figure out what the movie tune was, and uh, I'll buy you a free Hollywood Chop Shop shirt. Anybody who's listening. <laughs> so we look forward to seeing what some of those guesses are. Yeah, your Josh Groban deep dive. You can just go ahead and make those comments when we this episode posts on the Hollywood Chop Shop Instagram. Just go ahead and make your comments there. First person to get it, Travis is going to send you send you a T-shirt. Yeah, so, you'll uh, have to be able to confirm and verify. Don't just pick one song off the album and say you nailed it. <laughs> we'll have to confirm uh yeah no that's funny i thought josh groban 
did did a good job in the movie too. I mean, he was a twerp, so I didn't feel bad yeah. at all when Hannah left him. But that was you another know, one of those where to... Hannah's story gets sacrificed because yes, her friend talks about how boring or shitty he is and like the whole thing about like, oh, she thinks he's gonna propose, but he winds up just making her partner. I thought that scene was weird in of itself. He's like, I want you to be partner. Oh, I thought you were gonna propose. Oh no, why would I do that? That would be super weird. And it's like, well, her being partner is gonna be really fucking weird now. You just you just asked her to be partner at the firm and broke up with her. Like, how is that gonna play out in the office? I just love, you called him a twerp. When he does the little, this is going to be terrible for a podcast, but when he does that little, you know, I got to kind of do some some thinking and figure some things out before we, you know, kind of, pew, <laughs> does that little pew, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I'm like, what, dude, what dweeb like Josh Groban is going to be like, nah, I'm good on you, Emma Stone. Thanks, I can do better. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> oh, Good deal. No, that was a good that was a good uh, time capsule. Appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm so peek- happy that you remembered the movie tunes, though. <laughs> I was gonna say a little peek behind the curtain for you listeners. Uh me and Travis used to work at a Cinemark Tinseltown in Louisville. Uh Movie Tunes was one of the ten songs that they played uh over the intercom for what? Usually we got a new one every month. So by the time that month came you hated whatever was on the current movie tunes because it always there were 10 songs we'll say 13 that was like a, a cd you only ever heard two or three of the songs <laughs> off of that 13 like and it was the same three songs and that was the only time your ears perked up, like god damn it how the fuck is it this song again yeah and to this day randomly i'll be in a grocery store and i guess there's some overlap between movie tunes and grocery store tunes because i'll hear some of the old favorites and I, i'm instantly transported back so yeah to this day, Josh Groban, you still have some sort of hold on me. The three that hit me the most are leaving on a jet plane, the cover that was in the terminal, Tom Hanks, the terminal. Uh, popular from Wicked, which wasn't even a fucking movie. They just put that song in. You gotta be popular. And then, uh, what was it? Aaron Carter. Um, it's Saturday <laughs> night. It's gonna be a party. Those are the three. Those are the three that I I remember the most. There was also a White Stripes song that I don't even remember that much. But those those are through the three that I distinctly remember always fucking playing. I remember Alicia Keys. You don't know my name. I remember Convoy, the trucker song, and <laughs> there was a Michael Bublé song, but I cannot remember which Michael Bublé it was. So. I'm glad we each had our three. <laughs> oh my God, get out of my head! <laughs> okay, well, I think that brings us to our final segment, Chop Shop. So as we said in our last episode, we're changing things up a little bit. Rather than us both doing a chop shop, we decided we're just going to do one a week. We'll alternate off. This week, I got it. I got sci-fi. So normally, I go into a lot more depth with the chop shops. Um, but this week, I enjoyed this movie so much. There wasn't, especially getting sci-fi, there wasn't a lot I wanted to change about the core of the movie. So there were some little bits that I changed. And I was thinking, sci-fi, what are some genres, maybe some franchises that I love? And then it got me thinking about our boy, our boy, 
You know who I'm talking about. Josh Groban. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Oh, Our boy Ryan okay, Gosling. Yeah. I like and him. I like him too. Beyond Ryan Gosling, you wouldn't you know it's the 40 year anniversary of a little movie called Blade Runner. So I felt <laughs> it all just it all came together it. for me. So I tried to inject a little Blade Runner into this movie, all right? And by inject, I mean cut it up and make it into a Blade Runner movie, despite the fact that Ryan Gosling was already in a Blade Runner movie. <laughs> so uh, the big thing, uh, the one of the big changes I had is that Cal and Bernie are actually engineers at the Tyrell or the Wallace Corporation, because I think it's Tyrell and Blade Runner, and it becomes Wallace in 2049. So depending on where in the timeline of Blade Runner this is, that is that is where we're at. So um, just a, a few key points of how it would change the core of the movie. So after Cal gets the divorce, he's going to wind up starting to hang out at the bar. And that's when uh, a replicant is going to notice him or start to notice him. And he's going to coach him. So we're going to find out pretty, pretty early on that Jacob is actually a replicant. He's not a detective, but he's going to be, you know, maybe just a one, maybe like the gigolo type one, maybe like a Jude law from AI. Cause that movie came up last <laughs> week and I had to find the tie in there. So, Maybe he's he's kind of a, a a replicant escort or something like that, male escort. So, um, which will add to why Cal also does not like when Hannah starts dating him because he knows he's a replicant and all that. So that you know the movie will deal a little bit into what it is to be human and to love and emotion and stuff like that. So that'll add into that. Um, Jessica, we're actually going to find out, is going to be revealed to actually be an advanced replicant that doesn't even know she's a replicant. And at the family fight, Bernie is going to feel betrayed because essentially Bernie, he's not his actual daughter. He created Jessica and that Cal knew that she was a, a, an advanced replica and Cal didn't know that she had actually been developing feelings. So Bernie is going to feel betrayed that Cal is somehow trying to take his advanced prototype from him. The son will still feel betrayed He's going to find out that Jessica is a replicant, but he still loves her. It doesn't matter to him. So, again, it goes into what is human connection? What is a connection? What, you know, what is love and all that? And then, you know, baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> no more. And then ultimately, the, the big finale would be Cal basically having to come to grips with two of his children loving replicants. And then, like I said, having to to grapple with what it actually means to to feel love and that soulmate you know, he has that connection with his wife and goes back to her and that ultimately you can't fight that. So even though he tried to necessarily move on, he comes back and then has to accept the fact that two of his children have fallen in love with replicants. So that's how I would do it. And again, try and make a little bit more of the sci-fi twist about what it is to be human, you know, maybe a little generic in terms of the sci-fi genre. But I thought that was a, a some some little tweaks and twists you could make to this so that it would fit into the Blade Runner universe and then not only that it would be an actual sci-fi movie as opposed to just a rom-com so we could have a sci-fi rom-com which if i'm honest i don't know if i've ever heard of one so you're saying a sci-fi rom-com but with a, with a little darker edge darker edge yeah but a little maybe bit of a learning edge. to be human mm -hmm. but then cow you know what i do like is cow is a human, but Jacob as a replicant is able to teach him to be more human in a way. So the mm -hmm. irony of a replicant teaching a human to be a little better with the ladies. And the second thing I like about yours now, I don't feel as weird about the Jessica noobs because she might be 17, but she's a replicant. So exactly. That's, that's, a, that's completely different. We fixed it. Look at that. Yeah. We fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> 
is she 17 or does it make it worse because maybe she's only like two now i don't know we don't need to get into the ethical side of that <laughs> <laughs> but no no i like it in all seriousness so i do like the element of cal learning from a replicant and then realizing that that replicant that he's taking the the, the tips and tricks from his daughter's in love with that replicant. so yeah actually i know it's just an overview but there's a lot of meat on that bone so yeah, and honestly, it's just adding a little bit of meat and fat to the to the movie that already had a lot of meat to it. So I just no. I uh, I did you know we'll just get into a final segment here or final thoughts. But I I did very much enjoy this movie. At the beginning, I thought it was going to be one of those like eh, this is okay. Like it's it winds up being generic. I, you know, honestly, knowing that you recommended, I was waiting for maybe that was the other problem why I thought Jacob was going to wind up being a shithead was because <laughs> you recommended it, and I know that you're you're a glutton for like shitty endings. So I was like, I'm just waiting for this to get bad, but I should have known better. Uh, but no, I just I I very much enjoyed this movie. I think it is. If you haven't checked it out and you need a date night movie or anything like that, I think you absolutely should watch this movie. I think it. It has enough ups and downs. It's not going to be one of those movies that you watch and then it winds up being a real downer. Like, oh well, shit. Like, I didn't. This is not what I meant to take a date to. I think it ends on a pretty, pretty hopeful, positive note for all parties except for Kevin Bacon. And I, I, I think it's very well written. I think it was. It's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm glad you nailed the breakup comparison immediately. I thought the breakup left you on a little bit more of a downer feeling, where this movie was a little bit of an. an upbeat ending um but the final thing i'll say about the movie is uh i had the time of my life and i owe it all to you i just always bring up dirty dancing and it just works every time no it doesn't it's not gonna work on you though brett i know <laughs> i don't know if you could lift me up travis i put on some bounds all right. Hello, and welcome to a soul-searching episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. And today we'll be reviewing part two. Oh, wow. I, I put two as just T-O. That's why it confused me. <laughs> it's like part, what the fuck? There's a number missing here. All right. Uh, hey, Amigo, I'm uh, I'm about to tear out the... <laughs> amigo. Amigo. Hey there. Oh, God. Oh, God. The other thing I love, I forgot to mention, as I'm looking at random quotes, when, when Cal is crying and the boss comes to check on him and he's like, I'm getting a divorce, he's like, oh, we thought you had cancer. <laughs> it's, no, it's just my relationship. 